Welcome to Essential Conversations. I'm your host, Rebecca Mears, with my co-host, Luca Halex. And joining us in the studio this week, on very short notice, and we're absolutely thrilled to have him join us, is Brian Rubel, an artist at large, a sculptor, and more. And we, more. He's yes. already pulled out the guitar and started regaling us with some songs. So thank you for joining us today. Oh, glad to be it's, here. Yeah. We, we've been, Luca and I have been very restrained for the trip bringing him up the mountain because our natural inclination is to start diving in and asking all the kinds, all kinds of questions. And we're very curious about you. <laughs> yes. And, and we couldn't do that. So now we've got, now that the, you know, we're live, we've got, our listeners are in, now we get to dive in. So you, now I, here's what I've learned so far. You sculpt amazing things. You sing. You've got a farm, mm-hmm. and you're very friendly. <laughs> oh, there you go. And you're here in town to do um, a showing. Yeah, a, a, an art show, a, a display of uh, a dozen of my sculptures. Uh, it's uh, taking place at uh, Victoria and Gravely, just befi- behind uh, First and Commercial. And I'm here till the uh, 11th, open mm-hmm. every night from 5 p.m. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And that's how we found out about Brian. Yes. Because um, Maria Vlasopoulos, who mm-hmm. has been on our show before, um, knows that we're always looking for interesting people. Mm-hmm. And she massages me. So <laughs> last week when she was massaging me, she said, oh, by the way, I have a wonderful person for you to have on the show. And he's, uh, he's going to use my studio for displaying all his sculpture. And she said, like, that's the perfect opportunity. So we jumped on it. Mm-hmm. So and here you are. And here I am. We and dragged I'm you so up the mountain in the rain. So glad to be here. Yeah, for sure. And uh, a, a total coup for me to actually have this uh, <laughs> this plug here for my show. Well, and you're a radio neophyte, right? I am. So I so am. We, we we love having radio virgins in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're going to play. It's going to be great. Now you also have a biology degree. I do. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I, I keep wanting to say that you're a Renaissance person because when uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about about when you go to university and you get more and more and more and more specialized so that by the right. time you're doing your PhD, you're like the, the point on the ballpoint pen, mm-hmm. right? And then there's that's all right. this, this pen that's behind it. And mm-hmm. so you've got this huge background of all kinds of different things that that I think that's one of the beauties of getting older in life is that we've done all these things and we've learned all this stuff and it all comes together to make this sort of m- melange of of whatever it is that makes us us. Right. Right. So right. it's so I'd love to know how you got to sculpture. Ah. Because ah. that sounds like it's a journey that meanders all over everywhere. Well, it was uh, really just a coincidence. Um, uh, an, an old partner uh, suggested maybe I, I was into chess, con- suggested, oh, maybe you should carve your own chess set one day. Mm-hmm. She was into uh, soapstone. As you do. Why not? And uh, <laughs> there I was working in Banff uh, one year, and I said, hey, anybody know where there's uh, some soapstone around? And they said, what about that chunk holding open the pantry door? And I was like, <laughs> oh, well, that works great. So I started with that, and I kind of pulled it apart and did a few little pieces, and I thought, wow, I really... I really enjoy this. So how did you know how to carve stone? 
oh, I just started doodling, just started doodling <laughs> little pictures and this thing and that thing. And then um, that's how it all began. I swear this is other lifetimes. It has to be. It's, it's like, because otherwise, how would you know where to even start? Hmm. I don't even know. I, <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't it, know what to do. If you put stuck a piece of stone in my hand, I wouldn't know where to begin. Would you, Rebecca? No, I wouldn't know where to begin. That's not my thing. Nope. And <laughs> if, you had, if you had talked to a uh, university, uh, uh, myself in university, and told me, oh, in 20 years you're going to be on a radio show talking about your sculpture show, I would have been like, ah, I got the wrong person. You yes, know? yes. Because I was so um, uh, completely rational and uh, just uh, part of that scientific milieu that... Um, you know these uh, extra. Even though I, I was, I, I recognized that um, you know that there were other aspects to myself. I wasn't. Uh, they weren't certainly in the frontal lobe. So how were they appearing at that stage in your life when you were doing a biology degree? How was that stuff kind of manifesting, even if you weren't recognizing it? Hmm. I suppose it was in. Uh, you know, a little bit of disillusionment, like this can't be all there is. Like this, um, this, uh, you know, you'd always come up with uh, uh, facts that would introduce cognitive dissonance, you know, and uh, oh, well, uh, and so I, I was, uh, you know, and I was a very emotional person. I've always been a very emotional person. If I uh, start weeping on the show, like play a song or something, but we've had tears in here before. Yeah. Oh, good, good. I won't be alone. <laughs> um, but yeah, I and I used to uh, I used to write poetry, and um, uh, and I still do write poetry. Um, but uh, and I I became uh, a scientist, kind of. Um, uh, in the wake of uh, the dissolution of my family when I was a teenager. Mm. And uh, basically we were, you know, the cleavers, you know, up until I was about 15. And or then, so you thought. Or so I thought, although, yeah. And, uh, and then, um, you know, my family began to dissolve. We moved to a different city, and, and then I was like, oh, geez, well. And so then I thought, well, I'm not going to get depressed. I'm not going to let this affect me. I'm going to focus on something rational. And, uh, and throw my science, throw my energy into that because that has no ambiguity, right? And so uh, <laughs> I little did you know, little did I know, <laughs> yeah. And so then I uh, I rolled with that uh, for the next you know uh, ten years or so uh, to get myself through a biology degree and focused on genetics when I was there, uh, always looking for um, you know always seeking and looking for uh, the n- next level. The smaller level. So I started, oh, starting studying biology because I was interested in life. Where does life come from? And then, uh, and then, oh, well, life begins with the genes. And so I start uh, focusing on genetics. And then it's like, wait a minute, there's uh, these genes are made of molecules. And and then you start uh, pulling apart the molecules. And then, oh, we get right down. Then there's physics and quantum physics. And all of a sudden, now we're breaking apart the atoms. And uh, once you reach uh, quantum physics and start breaking apart those atoms, it's well, you know, where does where does where's the life now? You know, it's uh, strictly uh, harnessed in uh, frequency and vibration as opposed to anything concrete and material. And then we're a short step away from metaphysics, aren't we? <laughs> right. I, I find physics really interesting because physics and metaphysics are not that far apart. Well, they're they're two sides of the same coin, just yeah. about, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, um. So that's how I, uh, that's how I, uh, and then once, once I started to uh, 
explore that connection? Well, it led me into uh, uh, sacred geometry and all the uh, all the implications of sacred geometry. How uh, you know, as above, so below. So you know, we see the uh, entire cosmos structured by uh, geometry, and uh, geometry becomes sacred when we internalize it and recognize that even though geometry governs uh, life out there, well, guess what? It's governing life in here, you know? And, 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 that, and that brings the math into it, too, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're things like the Fibonacci spiral and... Sure, sure. The, uh, the proportions and the proportions that are built into sacred geometry. Correct. Scalable, scalable... Um, proportion uh, that, you know, runs, runs right through our body, runs uh, through, through our minds, in everything in nature. Yeah. Um, my sculpture, uh, as a result, I, because I use, I've been using sculpture as a, a means of reflection. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes a long time to, uh, to do these sculptures. And uh, as I'm, you know, if I'm studying uh, uh, one of my most uh, uh, one of my one of my sculptures uh, is based on the union of two circles, and uh, and how that creates this almond shape, the vesica Pisces, which is a lens. All like our eyes, our mouth, uh, all these places that have uh, information transfer, and uh, mm-hmm. it all comes through a lens that of the shape. vesica, that shape. And so uh, my one sculpture is. Uh, uh, you know these two partners kind of swirling around and um, and their bodies in the sculpture reflect this vesica shape, but then also at a different level, you know archetypically speaking, this is the uh, union of duality, you know two sides coming together to form this Venn uh, diagram kind of uh, hmm. point of the overlap the is. overlap and uh and uh, then in comes my biology where i recognize mm-hmm. that um you know as you know the sex cells of these courting couple are coming into being uh even their chromosomes as they're getting pulled apart in the process of meiosis mm-hmm. uh, even as the chromosomes are getting pulled apart the chromosomes themselves transit through this uh vesica shape so here and we can see that now. And we can see that now. And so we and so this sculpture is um, is exploring this whole idea, you know, from a sacred geometric pe- perspective, also a social perspective of the couple, and also from a genetic perspective, mm-hmm. uh, this one form that basically ushers in the miracle of life. Wow. Which is wow. creation. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so, and, and then you get into numerology, was, you've got one, which is unity, and, and then it divides into two. Into the duality. Into duality. And then from duality, they produce a third, which is creation again. Exactly. And then, yeah, it's, it just goes. And on it proceeds. <laughs> on it proceeds. So when you got to the end of your biology degree, did mm-hmm. you already know that you weren't going into biology? I had a good inkling. Um, at that time, I was in a, a pre-medical program, and um, and then I kind of uh, looked around at uh, my fellow students and uh, and kind of the uh, and, and the structure of the uh, of the program, and I thought, well, maybe uh, I'm not necessarily doctor material as it's uh, you know uh, as clinical as it 
kind of comes across. So I thought, well, maybe I might like to be a naturopathic doctor was kind of my uh, backup plan. So I, um, I started uh, preparing for my application for the naturopathy school. And part of the uh, uh, research was to, you know, research the history of the medical profession and all these kinds of things. And, uh, and I, was, uh, I was shocked actually, at, uh, at the roots of the medical system and how it's um, come along to present day. Um, the first, uh, say, the first uh, chemical medicine that ever was was uh, a treatment for syphilis. And what they would do is they would take uh, poultices of mercury and put them on the open wounds. And, uh, and uh, you would know that, the, that you were cured when um, this thick yellow ooze uh, which is a reaction to the poison, would come out of your salivary glands, you know? And it's like, wow, that's, you know... It's macabre it's is macabre. what it is. Hoping that the mercury poisoning kills the bacteria before it actually before kills the host. Before it kills you, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, and, and this is kind of our still... Uh, chemotherapy. Yeah, this this is yes. the way. This is the way we approach. This is still, this is yeah. still how we're doing this it. This is still yeah. how we're doing it. Yeah. And uh, so uh, that was uh, that was an eye opener, and and many other uh, uh, things aside from that. And I thought, oh wow. And so um, naturopathy, <laughs> naturopathy. I thought, okay, well, this is kind of uh, this is kind of the way I'm gonna go. So I applied to the school, and um, and uh, but then I, because at that time, whenever I put my mind to something. I was not guaranteed, but I was pretty sure that that's what I was going to do. And so uh, when I was going to this interview for my naturopathy school, I thought, well, before then, I thought, oh, well, before I spend four more years in Toronto, you know, I want to, I want to see the mountains. So out to Banff I went, mm-hmm. and when I show up for the interview, my car is half packed for Banff. You know, <laughs> my mind is not in the interview. Ah, I'll do fine, I think. <laughs> well, I blew it. <laughs> Completely blew it. And um, and uh, so then uh, uh, I, I get my uh, rejection letter while I'm out in Banff, and I think coming the end of the summer, it's like, oh, well, you know, this is a seasonal place. Now I've, uh, I'm living in staff accommodation. I've, so now at the end of the season, I've got uh, no place to live, no job. Uh, uh, all my things are in storage. I've got uh, – and I've got uh, – you know, some money for the, you know, the first time in my life, I've actually got a chunk. So I thought, well, you know, I could uh, continue on, you know, working and trying to save more money for school. But, you know, what I've always, uh, I've always had, had this um, connection with Africa that up to that point, I could never really explain except for that um, uh, I was interested in African music. And uh, so I thought, oh, I've always wanted to go there, you know. And, um, so I, uh, so that's what I did. I decided that, well, uh, I'm going to take my money, and instead of going to school, I'm going to live the school of hard knocks and go traveling to West Africa, to Ghana is where I focused. And uh, I went there for five months, just grabbed my backpack, never been anywhere in my life, <laughs> and there I was. Went to Ghana. On the, on boom. the, boom. As you do. As you do. <laughs> 10 p.m. on the tarmac in Accra, Ghana. The heat wave just <sighs> knocked me just about knocked me off my feet. Before we find out about Ghana, mm-hmm. for those of you just tuning in, this is Essential Conversations with Rebecca and Luca, and we're listening to Brian Rubel today, artist at large, and, and he's at larging in Africa <laughs> as we speak. So so we're now in Accra, mm-hmm. sitting on the tarmac in the heat wave. Mm-hmm. How long were you there for? Uh, five months. Yeah. 
Five not, on, not on the tarmac. I'm no, thinking. not on the tarmac. No, he'd be fried. He'd be like an egg, fried egg on the tarmac. Yeah, it gets hot there. It does. Yeah, yes. for sure. And I uh, and to make matters uh, more complex, I thought that I was landing. For some reason, I thought that I was landing at ten o'clock in the morning, and uh, so that this was. Uh, I was. I didn't. I was quite overwhelmed when I when I got off the plane and like culture shock. Yeah, culture shock. Well, interestingly enough, I was braced. For culture shock when I went there. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, this is going to be really intense. And I got there and uh, I found just the warmest, kindest, most welcoming people. And, uh, and over the course of the five months that I was there, I, uh, I just totally relaxed. And Akuna Matata, you know, <laughs> tomorrow, great. And, uh, and and I didn't quite experience the culture shock until I returned oh, from traveling. And then I saw the one. yeah. And then I saw the uh, restrictions and the um, the conformity and the tightness of my culture and my civilization. And I was like, whoa! Mm-hmm. So that was really. And they really live in the present. Once you indeed. once you've been broken out of your paradigm and you don't even know it when it happens because you're just so wholly a- engaged in trying to keep you're up versus you're down, uh, which sounds like it was a nice, easy process that they took you into, but it mm-hmm. was reorienting you. And then you don't even know you've been reoriented yeah. until you come back. And then it's like, oh, I don't quite fit like I used to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, everything. Like, I didn't fit anywhere. I That's one of the things that uh, I think people don't tell you yeah. when you go traveling mm-hmm. is that, um, you know, you go and then when you come back, Everyone's still relatively in the same place as they were, but for yourself, everything has changed. Your perspectives on grocery stores, or oh, yeah. name it, oh, yeah. you know, your perspective changes. And so it's really uh, disillusioning. Even with my family, I felt um, uh, a, a huge chasm between uh, how we used to relate and how we are trying to relate now, you know. Because you had a different experience. Because I've which had a different experience. You. Yeah. And, you know, and my new views, um, because I was having a, a difficult time reorienting myself uh, with my society, my new views kind of rejected all kinds of uh, aspects of my civilization and my culture. And, and, that, and, and I, my family probably felt that I was judging them, you know, that, uh, which kind of widened the chasm a little bit, you know. And so, yeah, there was a lot of things that kind of got thrown out with the dishwater when I when I returned how did you um, how did you re-enter what what so I mean you here you are fresh fresh off the boat so to speak Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. from a from another culture right um, with a biology degree under your belt Mm -hmm. and and then what well it was bumpy uh, I, you know, I got back and nothing seemed the same. I got into a terrible relationship, um, uh, so much so that a, a year and a half later, I thought I was so, uh, how shall we say, uh, uh, I don't know how to say it. I, 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 I didn't feel like I had any base mm-hmm. underneath me. I felt I have to go back to Africa mm-hmm. and uh, figure out what happened. Reorient. With that. Reorient. <laughs> Yep. figure out what happened with that first experience. Mm-hmm. So then I uh, returned to Africa then for nine months. Uh, this time I decided to uh, 
go to um, uh, from South Africa uh, on the eastern side of Africa now, as opposed to the west. I went uh, up the east coast uh, from South Africa up to Tanzania, and then and then back. And uh, by the time I got back, uh, I felt like okay, now I know what happened in that first experience. Mm-hmm. Now I, now I've kind of, you know, reoriented myself again. And okay, now I'm I know what I'm going back to. And I, I have a better appreciation of how I can, you know, mitigate the challenges of returning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's and then these are crossroads, right? These are crossroads. Th- these are yeah. crossroads, and yeah. it sounds like fairly early in your life. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. what was it that you learned about yourself that became fundamental for what you went into and who you became from that way forward? Hmm. What did I learn about myself? Uh, there was. Uh, hard to narrow it down to uh, a few things, but um, uh, I knew that I knew that I was beautiful. Mm. You know, I knew that uh, uh, I was uh, I had just as much of a, of a right to my own views, and my views were just as important and just as uh, true mm-hmm. as, as the views of my, of my society and my culture that I was coming back to. Um, I knew that uh, I knew that not everybody would get it, you know. That I kind of had to form my uh, my own space around mm-hmm. myself and my own views, kind of to you know, just like when you pl- they say when you plant a little tree, you know, you don't say, "Hey, everybody, check out this tree that I planted," you know, because everyone's sooner or later somebody's going to be walking along and step on it. You know, mm-hmm. you kind of have to nurture that fresh mm-hmm. growth you kind of got to put a little fence around it mm-hmm. and water it mm-hmm. and take care of mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. so um there was definitely that aspect but um yeah it took a while qu- e- even after the second time to r- reorient myself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so when you came back again mm-hmm. where did you come back to london ontario is where most of my family lives yeah so and when I came back, um, of course, you always come back from traveling. You're completely broke. So, <laughs> I so. know. You have lots of laundry and you're completely broke. <laughs> so uh, I, uh, I waited tables. Uh, I, I waited tables for 25 years. Uh, very nice places all over the place. You know, I was very fortunate to have, uh, to have that experience behind me. Mm-hmm. So uh, I went back to, uh, you know, working. But even then, I knew that... Um, London, Ontario wasn't going to be my place to uh, my place to live and be, and uh, I knew that I was sort of heading back out west. I wasn't sure when I was going to get there, uh, but I knew that that's that's what I was working towards, and uh, so it was uh, from there. That, and uh, then I went and I was building up and building up, and then I took a, another trip to Thailand in 2000, just for six weeks to get a little cultural infusion that was great and while there uh, a friend of mine that I'd met in Banff years earlier was uh, texted me and said uh, oh um, you know I know that you've always wanted to be moving back out west well I live on Quadra Island now she said I've got a room for you in my cabin and a yard for your dog and can probably hook you up with a job and so I said oh Quadra Island that sounds great 
London, Ontario to Quadra Island. Mm -hmm. So Another for people who don't know, Quadra Island shop. is one of the Gulf Islands, which is between Vancouver Island and the Vancouver mainland. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's it's sort of in the ocean, but protected. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a whole different kind of island life is a whole different kind of life. Totally. So it's still British Columbia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's coastal and it's oceanic mm -hmm. and it's um in well, some tell, ways tell us what quadra was like yeah for you. what was it like for you it was uh it was um the pace of life was so much slower mm -hmm. so much slower and i was you know more like I, africa more like africa yeah uh and i but i was charged you know i was trying to uh at, at this point um when I when I was in uh, Africa the second time, um, I uh, this is when I really started to uh, get my sculptural game on. There was uh, in Swaziland, uh, I used to stop and uh, see these artists that you know there was this big vein of soapstone that came right out of the ground, right there beside the highway. <laughs> and so they would just go and lop off a piece of stone and then sit there and visit with each other and carve the stone. And then they had their table set up next to the road and. They'd plunk it on there and then go back and grab another piece of stone. So um, I, I actually have a, a piece or two uh, at my art show here that actually st is still the Swazi soapstone. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I, when I moved to Quadra Island, I was like, okay, well, this is kind of what I, where I want to focus my life. It was a real passion for me, and um, and uh, so then I started to progress with that but island life because you know you're always taking a ferry mm. to go anywhere and mm -hmm. and uh and also you know the uh the mentality of the people there's uh you know island life is interesting because you get uh some very new agey uh a very new age kind of influence you know because there's so much uh, uh life uh, on the islands, you know, it's so uh, lush. It's not the built-up cityscapes. Yeah, they're you know the man-conquered civilization vibe. That's right. That's right. So there's all this uh, new age influence that uh, that uh, um, conflicts with the the fishermen and the loggers mm -hmm. that also make their home there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was trying to I was trying to uh, mitigate uh, and find my way there. Quadra Island is also where I met uh, met my wife, so uh, so begins so, another chapter. So begins another chapter, mm -hmm. indeed. Yeah. indeed. I feel like it's time for us to play one of your songs. Okay, which one would you like to do now? We've got uh, Morchiba, part of the process, or Human Rainbow. Let's go Morchiba. Okay, and would you like to tell us before we listen to it or after we listen to it why you chose this song? Well, I, I, I so I, before I suppose. Um, this song to me is about uh, that life isn't easy. Like lots of times, life isn't easy. You, you think, oh my gosh, where am I going? You got to have this fire in your heart and your gut, and you think, oh, this is what I love, and this is what I want to make my life to be. And um, things don't always work out. Things uh, are are harder oftentimes than you know what comes to your mind's eye. And uh, so this song to me. Um, is about uh, it's about struggle but it's also about keep your eye on the prize mm. you know it's all part of the process mm -hmm. even though you're having a difficult time nice let's take a listen to Morchiba's part of the process and we will return with Brian Rubel in just a few minutes
would like to take a minute to respectfully acknowledge that we are broadcasting from unceded ancestral territory of the Coast Salish peoples, the Squamish, the Musqueam, the Coquitlam, and the tsleil And what that means to me as a settler is it's my responsibility to pay attention to the voices of the people of this land and to learn from them as their stewardship has been what's kept this land afloat for millennia. We are here with Brian Rubel, artist at large of Keystone Sculptures, and we just took a listen to his first song request, which was Morchiba, part of the process. That was neat. You're introducing us to new stuff. I love the stuff that guests come on the air and bring with them. Um, And... 
Where where next? Well, I'm really curious about the process that you go through when you're creating a sculpture. Mm. You, you talked about it a little bit earlier on about um, uh, that that it comes out of a spiritual and consciousness place, and so w- when you when you and you also mentioned the fact that summertime is a is a is the growing season for you, and wintertime is the sculpture season. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how do you know when it's time to move from one to the other, and when you make that move, what happens for you? Well, I know when to make that move when the water in my food truck freezes. <laughs> <laughs> then I know that my food truck season is over and it's time for uh, time for the sculpting to begin. But um, so that that's uh, by the season. That's how I know when when the transition happens. Also, uh, I do a yearly uh, snow sculpting. Uh, challenge up at Silver Star Mountain Resort, and uh, me and my team, the White Spades, mm-hmm. we uh, we every year we put together a, a snow sculpture. It takes us forty eight hours, and it's a big block of snow that we turn into uh, uh, something transformative. Hopefully, how many of you are there in the team? Uh, three team members of three. Yeah, and uh, we've been at it. Uh, I think my first year was two thousand and eight. Uh, the first year when my son was born, that's how I remember. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and we've done one ever since. Uh, won a couple. They sent us to Quebec, and we won this year, and they're sending us to uh, sending us to Edmonton to compete for next year. So Amazing. Yeah. So how many days do you have to create this sculpture, and are there, are there parameters for it? Or Yeah, we've got 48 hours. It starts the Friday morning at 10, finishes the Sunday morning at 10, uh, and it's all hand tools, no power tools of any kind. Mm. So chisels and shovels and rasps. And no chainsaws. And no chainsaws. <laughs> no, none of, none of that. None of that. Is that process similar to the process that you go through when you're working with stone? Uh, yes, definitely. I mean, it's it's all uh, some some sculpture. Uh, I took I've taken one sculpture course in my life, and that was um, com- the complete reverse process of what I do. Normally, I start with a block of snow or a block of stone, and you know what you want it to be, and sort of you take away the extra bits, you know, and uh, and and find it that way. Whereas the class that I did was you know starting with an armature and building up on top of that. So the the snow sculpting and the uh, and the stone sculpting kind of are the same process, mm-hmm. even though the snow is obviously much easier to work with Softer than the stone soft, yeah. yeah, but less permanent. Yeah, much less permanent. Yeah, yeah. So how do you know what you want this piece of stone to be? Well, sometimes it's the stone. Sometimes I'll uh, uh, with one sculpture that I did uh, time. Uh, it was this big piece of Portuguese pink marble, and uh, and I sat with it. I, you know, I slept against it. I took naps <laughs> on it. Like you know, uh, what's it, what you know, what is it going to be? And sometimes, um, and sometimes the stone itself feels like it's informing me about what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think, oh, geez, and if I don't get anywhere, if I've been holding, you know, looking at it for too long, then I'll just take a hammer and, you know, whack at it. And say, like, oh, oh, there it is. You know, <laughs> like some piece will fly off. That's and it's like, so oh, amazing. there. And uh, yeah, so I, so like I'll see, a, all of a sudden I'll see a face. I, my artwork has lots of uh, faces and uh, body postures. And uh, it's kind of, um, 
uh, always using human elements, it seems. So you sort of have to cohabit with this stone for a while. I do, I do. Sometimes I, sometimes uh, the idea comes to me fully formed, and then it's like, okay, now I need to find a stone that will be the right size and shape for what I want it yeah, to be. I was going to say, how do you choose your stone, or does the stone choose you? Ah, what's, you know, you just look and see what's beautiful, and, and, and sometimes even choosing a stone, it's like, oh, wow, I know what I can turn that into right away. <laughs> you know, I'll take that one, <laughs> you know. I, I've got a description that you've written here as part of your show-and-tell stuff that you sent over mm-hmm. to us that, I mean, your your description is like poetry, it's oh, it's so it's so deep. There's it's de- it's revealing the layers of meaning mm. that a person just looking up at it quickly is not necessarily going to catch. As soon as you read it, mm-hmm. it's like oh oh <laughs> I mm. can see that mm-hmm. now. Um, this is poetry. I'd love I'd love to read it to our uh, listeners uh, and share the picture of what it is. Um, but before I do that, you also have you were mentioning before we started, and that's why you pulled, picked up the guitar. You have sculpture songs. I do have sculpture songs. <laughs> you tell true. us about that. Well, um, most of my uh, actually, I, I have I have two sculpture songs that are actually written, and and uh, some others that. Uh, um, I still will turn into they're songs. They're skulking around. They're, they're skulking around. Uh, whenever I do, uh, as part of our uh, white spades snow sculpting, uh, you always have to do a little description about what the piece is about. And uh, I'm not sure how it evolved that I just decided one day that, oh, this year the, sculpt- the, the explanation is going to be a poem. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's kind of how they started. And then it turns out that uh, the rest of my team... Uh, members are also musicians as well as myself so then it's like oh well let's try and put some music to that you know and uh, so all the sculpture songs are uh, reflections of the of the snow sculptures that we've done Uh, there's two one is uh, entitled mutiny which is our most recent uh, uh, snow sculpture and uh, the other song that I've done is uh, called uh, Noah Giamo super farmer (laughs) <laughs> uh, because uh yeah Noah that makes no, me laugh just yeah. the name of it yeah well the the the, the uh, theme that year was superheroes mm. and so oh, I, I thought it. well who's our who's our superhero who like for our team who's our superhero and we thought our superhero is the organic farmer you know um he's uh he's you know fighting the big corporations um I the big the, pharmaceutical the companies. The big pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and he's, uh, well, uh, let me, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just say the poem. Through the heat of the day since dawn's first sight, by the light of the moon on a restless night, through snow and sleet and wind and rain, the farmer returns to his land again. He feeds, he plows, he plants, he digs, he waters the horses, slops the pigs. He hauls the hay, he mends the fence, and watches the weather in great suspense. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. Um, I'm going to, so anybody who's listening, uh, I do, I am grabbing quotes and sending out pictures from our Twitter account. You're welcome to follow us along there so that you can see them. So I'm going to send out a picture of this sculpture, and, mm. and if it's okay, I'll read your do description so, here. Um, so if you'd like to see the picture of the sculpture, or you can come and see it at your showing. At the showing, right? Yes. Um, you can find us at Essential Conv. That's spelled Essence T I A L C O N V. 
So this sculpture is called Evolution, and here's uh, Brian's write-up about it. This sculpture is about the ascent of mankind towards enlightenment. Employing the DNA double helix structure structure is a base of expo- Sorry, okay, let me start that sentence again. <laughs> Employing the DNA double helix structure as a base of exploration, one strand of the helix is seven men ascending atop of each other, while the other strand is seven, seven women ascending. The electrostatic bonds normally collect connecting the two strands are represented by the limbs of the characters, giving the sculpture its stepwise structure. From the base, each couple represents one of the seven chakras, energy centers, of the human energy field. The root, survival, sacral, as procreation, solar plexus, as will, heart, as compassion, throat, as expression, third eye, as wisdom, and the crown, as bliss. At each step in the ascendance towards spiritual mastery, our focus changes to balance our energy flow and to accommodate a higher spiritual functionality. Our genetic evolution is a harmonic resonance of our spiritual energy field as consciousness is more fundamental than matter. Mm. Like, whoa! (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, man! (laughs) That's awesome. And each of your sculptures has a little description mm-hmm. that goes with it because mm-hmm. i noticed when i was in there today that that you've got them displayed on top of logs yeah uh, that are on end mm-hmm. and and then there's tacked underneath it is a description of of the piece mm-hmm. so people can look forward to those little descriptions for sure. along with each one of the pieces which for sure is quite amazing um your summer times mm-hmm are not just growing times, but you take what you grow and you turn it into food and you feed That's right. all of these people who come to your food truck. That's right. It's a um, field a field to fork food truck. <laughs> That's a tongue twister. Yeah. Well, maybe a, a lip twister. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, you could do things with that. Field to fork. Field to fork, yeah. Food truck. <laughs> There's something about what you do with your sculpture, what you do with this, which you're just referring to here, Luca. Mm-hmm. Your your farm to, what was it again? Field, Field to, to fork. Field to fork. Field to fork. There we go. Yeah. Field to fork. I feel like food. if I say that too farm, fast. Farm to fork too, it's still enough. Yeah, if I yeah. say it too fast, <laughs> yeah. it's going to be dangerous mm-hmm. on yes. there. Um, with the truck on the end. Yes. There is, there's a deliberateness, but there's a meditativeness. There's a consciousness that you are engaging with each step of the process for these things but there's also like a, a play like the the actual creations are somehow playful even while you are meditating on a concept and you're trying mm. to communicate a concept through these creations not not just your sculptures through the creation of the food mm. i think in your food truck because your every element that you were describing to us before you know from raising the chickens on the farm to raising the vegetables growing the vegetables this is uh, you being aware of what you are putting in your food that goes into the making of someone else's body. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's a. It's a. It's very health conscious. Uh, it's I, biology it's in action. Biology in action. <laughs> and you know, twenty five years of uh, waiting tables. Um, you know, you see different how people deal with their restaurants. You see the reactions of the people. Um, and you you know where the food you know you find out where the food comes from you know people want to people want to know where the food comes from and um 
And uh, so that's all part of the information. So for myself, you know, I am interested in everyone's well-being. I'm interested in, uh, you know, if I'm going to... Including the chickens. Including, including the chickens. Yeah, they only have one bad day. You know, (laughs) you want them to only have one bad day. That's right. That's right. So, uh, I mean, I I take great care in Mm -hmm. in um, in uh, providing that uh, having happy chickens, happy happy chickens. And I mean, uh, people say, oh, well, you know, guess you make money on both ends. And it's like, well, you know, it actually costs just about as much to raise a chicken as it does for you to go and buy a chicken, Mm -hmm. which is crazy. So it's like. um, even though it's all this extra effort that I put out there, for me it's valuable and for me it's important because I have to feel good about what I'm offering to the people around me. And it's my community. Mm -hmm. So I want my community to be healthy because Mm -hmm. if my community is healthy, then that makes a healthier environment for my children and Mm -hmm. um, bigger smiles. And this feels like the right moment to play Human Rainbow. All right. Yeah, (laughs) I'll I'll set this one up. This is... um, this is uh, uh, a nod to Johnny Clegg, who's the uh, lead singer here, uh, because it was uh, his former band Jaluka that you, that was my first introduction and my first uh, love of of uh, you know African music and and my first uh, uh, thought that I thought oh well geez you know opened my mind towards traveling there although I didn't think of traveling there at the at the time <laughs> and I suppose that was one of my uh, one of the uh, realizations I made particularly my first uh, travel to Africa was that we that we are all the same you know we all begin the same and it's only through our well experience or damage or however culture uh, however you want to phrase it that uh, that makes people different from each other you know, if we were all, if we could all talk to each other as infants, we'd probably have a lot less, you know, trouble in the world or something. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think mm-hmm. so. All right, let's take a listen to this. Johnny Clegg and Savuka, Human Rainbow. We will be back here in the studio with Brian Rubel in just a couple minutes.
Welcome back to Essential Conversations with Rebecca and Luca and our guest today, Brian Rubel, artist at large of Keystone Sculptures. And we were just listening to, I blanked out on the name, Johnny, Johnny Clegg and Savuka, Human Rainbow. I think I got it. You Woo! got it. Yes. <laughs> Way to remember. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what's happening next for you? You're in town. You're doing uh, showing. Yeah. Yeah. And is this something you do in various places around? This is just a, uh, a pop-up uh, art show that, uh, you know, I've been sculpting for 20 years, uh, 25 years, I guess. And, uh, you know, I've had my sculptures displayed in different places, restaurants that I was working in, which was great to be a fly on the wall, you know. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and uh, then I've been, um, since leaving the restaurant business, I've been, uh, well, in between my that and my food truck, uh, <laughs> you know, I they've my friend what happened maria came to our house and uh, with her boyfriend and and he saw my sculptures and he's like wow what are these doing you know dusty Just on sitting a, here sitting here dusty on a shelf you know you need to get those out there so He's uh, a mover. He's a he's a mover. Yeah. Yes. So I mean, yeah. luckily for me, I was just like, yeah, sure, I'll uh, have a pop up art show, and and it's been uh, absolutely fantastic. I'm so glad that I did it. Um, I am doing it. I should mm-hmm. say it's yeah. uh, it's open until um, uh, the 11th, so next Thursday. So a few mm-hmm. more days left uh, for for people to come on out and enjoy the the s- sculptures. Absolutely. Now, when you go home, mm-hmm. home for you is. Home for me is Monty Lake, which is in between, uh, halfway between uh, Kamloops and Vernon. And uh, that's what I'll be doing once uh, the sh- uh, art show wraps up. Then I take off my artist hat and put on my food truck hat and farmer hat and and a- away I go. Because we're ready heading for the into the beginning of heading the growing the, season again. That's right. Yes. That's right. So is it... If people are in the interior yep. and and they want to come and find you, yep. is there a place where they can come and find you? Yeah. Uh, they the can come and eat at your food truck? Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, I'm called the, the local. 
so uh, that's a little uh, tag that most of the food, at least as much as I can do, comes from local sources, and uh, or if not from my own farm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Monty Lake is not that big a place. <laughs> if you go to the general store, you'll see my truck there. It's uh, uh, parked next to a uh, little old church with a little creek running by. have a nice little seating area for people if they've got some time to stop. Or if uh, so it's also it's right along on the side of uh, Highway 97. So mm-hmm. if people are just wanting to come in and grab a wrap and keep on going or a coffee... Be ready and hopefully should be ready in five minutes. (laughs) And who would you love to hear from that might be listening right now? Oh, um, anyone that appreciates uh, stone sculpture and uh, or has uh, spiritual aspirations or um, uh, gallery owners, uh, if they would uh, uh, need some inventory, Mm -hmm. uh, I can certainly supply that. Um, Or if they'd like to create pop-up space for you there you go there you go yeah wonderful so i've tweeted out a link to your website okay perhaps you'd like to tell everybody what that is and then uh they can do a google for you later in case they're not keystone sculptures yeah keystone sculptures is my website and um uh self-explanatory i think um yeah it showcases all of my art and a little bit of my philosophy and uh, shows past uh, snow sculptures and uh uh and i will be linking uh this interview uh to that site as well uh i'm we have been locked out of my uh forgot my password i'm sure everybody knows that for my yes. uh, so we my, all got a bajillion passwords now that's right so my uh my site uh, needs a little bit of updating but this this will help uh, push it along i might even uh, feature a couple of my uh, sculpture songs in oh, there. Oh, nice. Very good. Yeah, yeah. you should. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We didn't get to that today. Didn't so get to if that today. people want to hear a sculpture song, they need to head over to your website. That's Brian, right. Thank yeah. you so much for joining us today. This was really delightful. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, this is a really pleasure good. for us. And Luca, you're about to head off on an adventure. Yes, I'm heading off to Germany, to uh, Nuremberg, on the on more towards the eastern side of Germany, and to Trier on the western side of Germany. So if anybody knows of anybody who would like to have a reading from me while I'm over there, then you can put them in touch with me. And you've got, you oh, just I'm finished your video. I'm, oh my gosh, the videos are hard. Working on the, getting the video for the fundraiser awareness yeah. reader for Razor for uh, Blossom Co-Housing Project, which I had spoken on the on our show before. Yeah. Um, we should let our listeners know that for the next few weeks while you're in Germany, we're going to have a couple of uh, repeat episodes, but Luca and I have done the work to get into the studio early and do some pre-recording. So you will find a couple of new shows in there. Yeah, we had some delicious discussions. Yes. Uh, they won't be live, but they will be new. So Yes. Yes. <laughs> and we'll alternate them until I, until I come back and then we have another wonderful guest heading into the studio yeah, with us. Full compliment as we head into the summer. Yeah. Yeah, and until next time. I wonder what's around the corner. Essential Conversations is brought to you courtesy of Luca Halleck's Power Sorcerer. And Rebecca Mears, Certified Coach. Increase your awareness, expand your options, empower yourself. Luca can be reached at www.lucahalleck's.com. I light the fires that light a thousand more. Connect with Rebecca at catchingfire.ca. Yep, yep, yep. yep, yep. Oh, ah, 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 Happy, 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 happy. Boing, 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 boing.